there's something really interesting in how we bring together the innovation space with this space. Most businesses are still doing the compliance bit and most businesses haven't quite realized that they need to reinvent their business. And so what I'm excited about is kind of all of us who are from the innovation space kind of being ready to pounce so that when businesses suddenly realize that they need to completely transform their entire business, we're (laughs) ready to help them. Welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you for joining us on our quest to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jan Vermut, and joining me as always, my two co-hosts, Jonathan Edwards and Scott Burson. Today is episode number 50, and we're thrilled to have Hannah Kirtland as our guest for this milestone episode. So Hannah, no pressure, right? But it's just kind of a big milestone for us. Um, Hannah is an award-winning strategic thinker with more than 20 years of extensive and varied leadership experience as a director or on the board level. She has worked in finance in four-purpose businesses, charities, and as an innovation consultant. Today, she's all in on impact, for example, as a co-founder of the Impact Pioneers, an invitation-only community of business leaders who want to have an impact in the world. She's also a fellow of the Institute of Chartered Accountants and a member of their sustainability committee and has several expert advisory roles. She lives and breathes impact and has um, so for a long time. So she wrote her first impact report. You mentioned that on your website in 2007. So way before it was cool. Um, she founded Kirtland, uh, Kirtland, sorry, Kirtland and Co. and helps business leaders maximize and scale their positive impact on the world. Oh, and then I mention she's a TEDx speaker. So without further ado, Hannah, welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you, Jan. Good to be here. So um, I what I found in, in, in preparation is that on LinkedIn, you call yourself an outsourced chief impact officer. Now, I really like this. I found it super intriguing. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah, no, very good question. Um, so I'll start with the easy bit. Um, so outsourced. So I call myself outsourced because I'm not employed by the business. Um, but I've chosen to use that title rather than the title of consultant because I want them to see me as an extended member of their leadership team. So someone who they really feel they can kind of pick up the phone to when they've got a question or a challenge, who they can bounce ideas off just a bit closer to the team, more an integral part of the team than okay. maybe an external sort of arm's length consultant. So outsourced is the, that's the outsourced bit. Then in terms of the chief officer bit, um, that's because I'm work- I like to work at a senior leadership level. Um, you've talked about in the intro, that's kind of, that's my experience. Um, I'm obviously happy to roll up my sleeves if needs be. I tend to work with SMEs and that means, you know, sometimes you do just need to roll up your sleeves and get stuck in and they need a bit of capacity support. Yeah. But where I'm best is when I'm working at that kind of really strategic leadership level. So, you know, I've worked across all areas of the business. I like working across all areas of the business. I like being able to see that kind of whole business picture, how all the different functions interact, how the business connects into the outside world, how that external world's changing, how that impacts the business, kind of joining up all the different dots, spotting connections, spotting patterns, spotting opportunities that other people might have missed. Mm. Um, And then also sensing the human dynamics. Um, And so that's something... I really like to do is that kind of blend of the kind of the process, the doing, the strategy, yeah. and then the people. How do you take those people with you? How do you get that interaction between the people and the process that 
you need if you're going to deliver change and how do the leader what do the leaders need to do to really take people with them mm. so that's the chief officer bit and then finally impact um and that this is a word i've chosen really carefully um, for the most difficult bit kind of. <laughs> yeah. um and i i played around with sustainability for a while mm. but impact is what i've always done um and for me impact it means something to a certain type of person it and it mean it really resonates with the people who i want to work with who which are, they're the people that want to make a meaningful difference in the world they really understand that word impact um whereas sustainability can sometimes be seen in a bit of a compliance type way impact yes it means something really special it resonates with the right kind of person um and the reason it resonates with me is because every single thing we do every decision we make has an impact positive or negative on people and on the natural world and i think that businesses need to be conscious of those impacts when they're making decisions um mm. just you know they may choose to still make the decision that is maximizing money but i think they need to be conscious of what that means in terms of impact on people in the world and and i think they need to understand what the negative impacts they're having and then make yeah. you know what are the positive impacts they are having or could have and then create a plan definitely to reduce the negative impacts and then make a strategic decision about the positive bits okay um, and so that's that's all the different bits of it and i suppose then there's something around you know what a business chooses the roles a business chooses to have in their c suite tells you what matters to them and yeah. you know so you often see you know a technology company will always have a cto on the board other yeah. businesses won't have a CTO on the board. Um, you know, if a business really cares about impact, they really care about making a difference. I think they need someone on the board who's kind of wearing that hat, bringing that perspective, creating some of those tensions that will arise when you're making decisions, um, mm. bringing that sort of consciousness into the room. Um, and so, yeah, so those are the businesses I tend to work with are the ones who want that position on the board for a CEO who wants to make a meaningful impact on the world. But they maybe you know they're not going to bring in someone full time. They can they can have me. Okay, okay. I feel that's very nice. I I I think the the especially the bit where it's kind of yeah it has to do something with sustainability. But that that has moved at least now very much into ESG kind of stuff. We'll get to that later. Uh, I want to sneak a question that I actually stole from Jonathan, but I think it fits here. So he asked that before. And how so? How does kind of impact relate to? Corporate social responsibility, is that kind of the same thing? Is that a completely different thing? So our, can we fill up impact a little bit more in that, in that sense? So quite often the way that corporate social responsibility has been delivered is it's a sort of an afterthought. It's a bolt-on on the yeah. side. In the same way that sustainability, to be honest, often is yeah. at the moment. Um, they're a bolt-on on the side. They're a sort of compliance box ticking function. And then the, you know, the core part of the business carries on as normal. Whereas for a business to be truly impactful, I think it has to be part of their core strategy, their core vision, what they're doing as a business. And they need to be embedding it into all of their decision making, all of their processes, um, into their business model. Otherwise, you end up with this kind of tension of, well, the, you know, the company's carrying on making widgets as normal. And then somebody over here is thinking about the impact of it. Instead, think, well, through, you know, how do we use our assets and capabilities as a business mm. to make a difference in the world? How do we integrate impact into the core of what we do rather than it being a bit of an afterthought? And the reality yeah. is a lot of CSR functions, certainly the traditional way CSR has been done, 
has been donating money to charity or running corporate volunteering days, which is not integrated into the business model. It's good stuff yeah. to do. It's nice, but you're yeah. not going to achieve the same impact, the same scale that you can as if it's like really integral into your strategy, yeah. um, integral into your business model. That's when when it's integrated into your business model, that's where it works really nicely because commercial success and impact are completely integrated and entwined and you scale one, you scale the other. And that's when you end up making the decisions that benefit yeah. both. Okay. So, so, so the, maybe they're going into that bit a little bit. So I, I really like this kind of, if you would, if you would look at the business and have some, something like impact or sustainability or however you want to call it in all of the functions that needs to be an integral part. But I feel like in, in the discussions that I have around these topics, which to be honest, are often an afterthought uh, still, but but still, um, so so there is a sense that that's a contradiction. So how can you? So is is there is it some is it kind of possible to have a commercial success or being being a business and integrating impact into the core of what you're doing? Or is there or are there always going to be tensions? Is that something that goes together? How do you how do you see those two? In the best businesses, they are integrated and they have worked out how to achieve commercial success and deliver positive impact, not deliver negative impact at the same time. That's when it works. I think, you know, there will always be tensions. Um, there will always, and that's what I think makes it hard in this space, which a lot of business leaders struggle with, is there's there's lots of different elements to sustainability. Um, yeah. And there's often not a black and white answer. Whereas if you're trying to just boil something down to a financial ROI or a payback period, it's much easier to get a kind of clear winner Whereas often in the sustainability space, you're having to make trade-offs between financial return, um, impact on people within the supply chain, human rights, environmental impact. Like you, you often won't find a solution that wins across all of those, and you're having to then constantly make a judgment call. Um, mm. And so that makes it hard. Um, this is where I think innovation comes in, though. It's about okay. starting to, you know, we need yeah. to think differently. So for example, um, you know, if we look at um, car companies, so at the moment they're selling cars. And so for every car sold, there's more stuff, there's more raw materials, there's, you know, lots of cars sitting on driveways, not being driven for, you know, the vast majority. Most of the time, yeah. And also, you know, what if you just need to pop to the shops locally? You only need a tiny car. You don't need the great big family, you know, seven seater massive boot. But when you go on holiday, you need that. But maybe you're only needing that four or five times a year. Um, what if those car companies instead start to sell travel? And so actually they mm. sell a travel service, which means that you have the right car that you need when you need it. And, it, you know, there are lots of challenges around this. It's much easier to imagine in a kind of urban setting yeah where you know and, and you can fit this in with then um you know auto uh, self-driving cars as well what if i say actually what i need right now is to go and pick the kids up from school i just need something small but i need it in 15 minutes time little car you know appears <laughs> on my driveway all by itself in 15 minutes time and i can go pick the kids up from school and then it disappears off again but when we need to go on holiday i say right i need this sort of car to take the you know everyone on holiday or we're going to ride our bikes this weekend we need to be able to put them on the back of the car the right thing arrives at the right time but when I'm using it, it's off doing its job with somebody else. Suddenly, I'm getting at exactly what I need anytime. So I'm my customer needs are being met. Um, there's much less raw material being needed because there are fewer cars and you've got much higher utilization rates. 
I'm not having to worry about servicing any of the vehicles because they're being serviced by the business that owns them. They're then dealing with waste at the end of life. So they can probably do that much more effectively than if you've got this completely fragmented model with ownership sitting across lots and lots of different people. Um, so there's some really interesting opportunities there. But that requires a complete shift in mindset to say, OK, you car business yeah. are now selling travel, not and you're meeting, you're selling that as a service. And maybe you're charging me a subscription each month and you're managing, you know, it's going to look very different how you manage that as opposed to selling me a car and then yeah. I'm gone. That's yeah. where I think the innovation piece comes in and it gets really exciting. Yeah, I would say in 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 Switzerland, and I'm sure in many other countries, these types of solutions that you were talking about regarding cars have existed for a long time. But I still see a lot of traffic on the roads. People still like owning their cars, so there's obviously some some trade off going on. I wanted to um, just ask you something about um, the the notion of uh, of impact. Mm. Do you believe that all impacts? can be reduced to including externalities in your accounting, basically? Or is that not a good way of seeing it? So can all of these questions basically be put in a balance sheet? Uh, or um, or is that not a good way of thinking about it? Theoretically, yes. Um, so there's some really good work that's been done by the um, team working on economic, what's called the economics of mutuality. So um, a team um, in the University of Oxford and it's really in like theoretically, it's really interesting. And they've come up with um, this mutual P&L where um, you you bring in the human impact, you bring in the planetary impact, you bring in your financial impact and you bring them all into this real integrated P&L. I love it conceptually. I I can't see how it works pragmatically in certainly in SMEs um I think we're a long way off doing that one of the things and I started life as an accountant and I you know I I did math at university you know I have I've been that person who thinks everything can be boiled down to a number and the world is black and white <laughs> and I think one of my biggest learnings across my career especially working the impacts that base for so long is that there's some stuff that you just can't put a number on and you need to be okay with that. It's going to be too much work to put a number on it. The number's going to be imperfect. You know, sometimes with social impact, the best measure of it is actually a story or it's a smile on a child's face. Or it, it, I, I worry that in sort of traditional business, we want to boil everything down to a number because it makes our lives easier. Whereas actually we need to get more comfortable with things being a bit messy, with making judgments, with the fact that sometimes we might with hindsight have made the wrong decision. Um, and I think, yeah, theoretically we can put a number on it, just like economists theoretically put numbers on lots of things. And we need to ask ourselves that question, but I think it's not, it's not really realistic. And there's some things you can't really measure. Hmm. So, so that would be kind of the, 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 just to get this right, is that the idea that you would say, I don't know, uh, uh, kind of my social harm that I'm doing or my 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 uh, harm to the environment, I'll price that in or in one way, I'll try to put a price on 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 that. And then kind of that would be my accounting of how good or bad or whatever you want to kind of my of my impact as an as a as an accounting model kind of thing. Is that is that what we're talking about here? Because I've seen a couple of I mean, I, I agree with you a lot that I've seen a couple of advances um, here and there where they try to 
And we say, okay, okay you, can, you can build a well here, yes, but for each tree that you're going to cut down, we put a price on the tree and then kind of trying to price that in. But there I have the feeling that also then probably many business models break down, but <laughs> that's a different different story. Um, you know, there are definitely people trying to do it. I think, you know, um, I think it's Albert Hein um, in their supermarkets now. There's some of the products, I think it's coffee where they've put a price on that says actually here's the price of the coffee coffee and here's the price if we factor in you know various sort of extant things that have been externalized mm. um so i think you know there is work being done on it i think it's important certainly carbon pricing is really you know evolving maturing um as a space and so we will start seeing that being factored in more it gets really hard when you start putting a price on nature i saw something recently with people yeah. putting a price on a rhino i think and the thing is, we don't know. Yeah. The world is so systemic. We don't really understand it because we don't understand systems. And that's where so much of this challenge has come in because we're doing things in such a kind of mechanical, pull this lever here, this ha happens as the outcome over here. And we don't understand, well, okay, you kill that rhino or you chop down that tree. We probably can't see half of the stuff that's happening as a result of doing that. We almost have to trust that nature's worked it out in the, you know thousands and thousands and millions of years before we started messing around with it yeah. and you know the value yeah. is in three being up and providing its ongoing ecosystem services and people try and put prices on it so that it can kind of be brought into these economic markets that we've created yeah. I, I, there is obviously one um I, I, so I, firstly i thought it was quite interesting that you mentioned that this uh, these kinds of studies came from oxford because I, I believe in Oxford, there's a, a lot of these, um, for example, effective altruists and all of these people who who want to uh, basically very utilitarian in the way they they approach, um, well, decisions about um, morality and this kind of stuff. Um, uh, so I I'm totally on your side on on, on these questions, uh, but I, just to play devil's advocate slightly i i think there is one also advantage of um uh, somehow including these questions in the price which is it's a very easy way to to communicate um broadly about about something because and 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 to communicate the, about the impacts in a kind of as a proxy the the smile of a child of course you can put a photograph on the back of the coffee package or something like this but it just doesn't resonate in the same way that oh you know this one i have to pay more for or or something like this and yeah. yeah yeah and i think with the world we're living in you know we are in a capitalist system and you know this is how the markets work and pricing determines what happens in the markets so i I, yeah, I don't disagree with you. And I think, you know, we've been getting a lot of stuff for far too cheap. You know, if you buy a T-shirt for, yeah. I'm here in the UK, yeah. if you buy a T-shirt for £1.50, mm. like, you know, how's that T-shirt being produced for £1.50? Yeah. Like, you know, and it's the same with, with some food. The thing then that we have to be aware of is the sort of equality side of this. So the social aspects, how do we, it can, being, you know, making the sustainable choices can be seen as a very kind of middle class, upper class activity. And I hear a lot of people saying, well, I can't be more sustainable because I can't afford to pay a premium for my, you know, yeah. whatever it is I'm buying, because there's lots of businesses that are kind of capitalizing on 
you know, this whole space and the consumer demand and they're producing products that are, you know, do have a reduced impact and, um, you know, it's yeah. a different business model. The problem is, is a lot of them are considerably more expensive. So you're paying this premium for sustainability and we're not going to get the market penetration that we need if you're pricing a vast number of people out of the market. Um, or we need to work at, we need to work out something so we're not producing products that are you know widening inequality. We have to make stuff that is accessible to everyone. You know, at the moment, I mean, certainly here in the UK with the cost of living crisis, you know, there are a lot of people who are struggling to make ends meet. We can't go and then say to them, yes, we're going to increase the price of everything you're buying by X percent in order to reduce the impact, not without putting some sort of balances there in the system that mean that there's, you know, they're not able to afford to be able to live. You know, you're back to sort of Maslow's hierarchy then. Yeah. They haven't yeah. got time to think about being sustainable because they're worrying about whether they can put food on the table or afford to pay the rent or the mortgage. I, I really liked, so I want to kind of maybe move a little bit more. Just, you mentioned the story aspect of it, and I really liked this. In, so in your TEDx talk, and I recommend that people go and check this out. I think the title is How to Change the Story of Our Planet by Doing Two Simple Things. So I think already there you frame it around, around stories and what stories kind of can, can, can help us do. So can you elaborate a little bit? These what So first of all, the story aspect and, and, and how can we help the planet by obviously doing two, I mean, there's the complex stuff of trying to put an arm. Okay. But apparently there are two simple things that we can do. So what are the two simple things that we can do? Yeah. <laughs> so you're jumping to the punchline of the TEDx talk, Jan. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> there's a whole lead up. In the talk. <laughs> we have time so you can build up the, <laughs> I'm not sure I can remember it anymore. Um, so the, the two simple things are the questions we ask and the stories we tell. And both of those are things that we all do every single day and they don't cost any money and they don't take time. And so it's it's building on that. You know, often I'm hearing from people, well, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to be more sustainable. I'd love to reduce my impact, but I can't afford it. It's going to take loads of time. You know, whether that's individuals going about their, you know, day to day or whether that's people within business. Yes, we want to do this, but we can't do it right now because we haven't got any budget. And both of these things are things that we can all do. And so um, with the stories, it's about you know, what do we talk about? If your business leader um, is sending out a message to the whole business or if they are standing up in a town hall and talking to everybody, what, are the, what do they choose to say? Do they stand up and talk about and praise the people who've you know, made the most money for the business in the last you know, six months, do they, or do they stand up and they talk about the team that's kind of worked together to, um, you know, reduce the carbon footprint of one of their core products or the amount of water that it uses. What they choose to call out tells everybody immediately what they care about. You know, if they're standing up and all they're talking about the financials, they're sending a very clear message intended or not that what they really care about is the financials and whether they're going to get their bonus at the end of the year and yeah. it's all about the money whereas if what they do is they stand up and they say i really love the fact that these teams you know have all come together they've kind of you know they've got out of their silos they've they've collaborated they've worked together on a shared problem and they've come up with some really creative solutions they tested out some stuff some of it didn't work 
but you know we've got some we've got lots of learnings we can you know see where there's progress to be made and there's potential here it's looking like we might be able to reduce the carbon footprint of this core product by mm. x percent that's them saying you know I, I value collaboration um it's okay to fail so long as you're sort of failing forward and you're learning it's okay to test out new stuff i'm really supportive of that and a big priority for me is reducing carbon footprint across our key products if that's what they choose to talk about, then the business will pick up on that and it will encourage other people to collaborate and fail and share their learnings and, you know, and focus on carbon footprint rather than just on financial returns. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that's, that's that. I mean, their leadership has, has, I mean, they make the choice whether they do it consciously or not, but they make mm -hmm. a choice by, by what, whatever they emphasize and how they kind of structure also the business itself, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's the same day to day you know, when we're talking to our friends and family and all of us are most influenced by the people who are close to us. So yeah. it, that's just the reality. People are more likely to listen to their friends and family than they are to, you know, a big corporate or the government telling them what to do. And I keep hearing you know, this is one of the most impactful things we can all do is sharing what we've done. So, you know, one of the simplest things I've talked about is switching to solid shampoo. You know, and people sort of go, oh, I just, I don't, I don't, it's not going to work as well as normal shampoo, is it? If I can then go out and go, well, actually, I thought that as well, but I've tried all these different brands. This one's absolutely brilliant. I actually prefer it to using liquid shampoo. And when I go on holiday, I've now not got to, you know, carry as much stuff and, yeah. and, 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 and suddenly they go, oh, okay, well, if Hannah's managed it, maybe I can manage it too. <laughs> you know, but yeah. those, yeah. just sharing those little stories or, you know, if someone sort of says, um, I don't know, we're, we're having a barbecue this weekend, you know, everyone's going to bring along a piece of meat for the barbecue. And I say, actually, I'm going to bring along these veggie burgers that I've discovered, which are really nice. We really like them because actually we're trying to cut down on meat or we're not eating meat anymore. You know, she's like, I'll bring some extras so some other people can try them. Yeah. I might influence some behavior just through doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, with my friends, it, it shows people it's possible and it's doable because I've done it already and, you know, you can do it too. Yeah. I like the overall kind of this overall I, I approach because because for me, it's the, the I mean, the challenge behind of this is a habit change. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's in, in the end, whether it's either as a company or, or as a consumer, there is a habit change that needs to happen. I mean, if even if it's just choosing the more sustainable product than the other. That's a change of habits. I used to have that kind of detergent and now forget about price and everything, but the one that has the green thing on it, it's it's the different one that I used before. And I think habit changes are like, that's very hard to get to. And stories I feel like are the are, are super are one of the most powerful things to actually bring that about or to help start at least that kind of habit change, I feel. Yeah, and there's several, you know, there's several things I've changed where, you know, it seems like such it's because it's a habit. It seems like a big deal. Yeah. And then once you've done it, it's like, OK, that wasn't so bad after all. But maybe I can then tell other people it wasn't so bad. And and those that when I, when I post those posts on LinkedIn, those are the ones that, you know, go crazy because people. <laughs> but, but that's what they want to hit. Most people just want advice on how to do this. The reality is, you know, yes, there are naysayers out there, but most people are concerned. You know, you know, I think 70 percent of the general public here in the UK are you know, they're concerned about climate change. They want to do something, but they don't know what to do. And what they want is someone to just hold their hand and give them that step by step. Okay, try this, try this, mm -hmm. you know, make it easy. Yeah. 
maybe I, so bringing it back this to to businesses or SMEs maybe in more particular so, so in the in the in the talk you also mentioned this and I like this a lot uh, this spectrum and I think we should talk about this spectrum of good where you say there is kind of there is a spectrum of reducing harm and doing good so yeah. so I feel like a lot of the discussions also that we that we're now having is 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 about reducing harm but there seems to be like that seems to be the starting point of your of your scale if I if I understand that correctly could you elaborate a little bit on this this the spectrum of good yeah. Yeah. So on the left hand side of the spectrum, we've got traditional businesses and they're generally not really thinking about impact. They're kind of going about their day to day. The focus is on the financials, maximizing returns for shareholders, um, you know, kind of turning a blind eye to the negative impacts that they're having. Or, you know, they might not be aware of them, but or if they are aware of them, they're kind of, you know, burying their head in the pushing sand. it back to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, maybe using excuses or talking about, you know, well, we've got this committed dividend etc um and you know they will do the barest that they need to from a compliance perspective but they're not going to do any more because their focus is on financial returns mm. um then you move along to sort of businesses that are they may be starting to think about some of this stuff but they're, they're making changes because it makes sense from a kind of business perspective so for example maybe they are needing to attract talent um this is one of the big yeah. ones that businesses um, that encourages them to change you know they need great people that's you know the whole business is relying on people and the reality is that people are increasingly picking the businesses that are taking actions on sustainability or creating um yeah. more diverse more inclusive workplaces and so they make the change because they can see the business case they can see that financial return of okay if we you know offer this kind of if we pay for this kind of um staff benefit within the workplace then it mm. reduces staff turnover by x or it reduces sick days by y we can see the financial payback that kind of makes sense so they're making those changes but they're doing it because it makes business financial sense yeah. and the next the next stage on the spectrum is where you see a mindset shift within the leadership team and they start to really believe in the sort of the benefits of being a responsible business and they kind of commit to that journey to really understanding the impacts that they're having and to starting out on that journey to reduce their negative impact and increase their positive impact. And normally at that stage, the focus is on this reducing their negative impact. It's about sort of being less bad, um, yeah. becoming more conscious of that. And that's that's kind of fine. That's a good place for businesses to start is by reducing their negative impact. Often you find as they go go on that journey and they learn more and more and they kind of start hanging out with different business leaders and increasing their awareness in that space, maybe finding new role models, realizing that a lot of these changes are actually helping them commercially. They're having a really positive impact in terms of their brand reputation. They're able to attract new clients, new customers. They start wanting to take it further and further. And at some point along there, you see this shift to saying, well, actually, we, we want to make a positive dent on the world. Um, we don't just want to reduce our negative impact. We want to actually try and have a positive impact. And they start to then articulate, well, what is that? What's the difference we want to make? Yeah. And some businesses then who are really, really far on in this journey, and a lot of them were set up sort of impact first in the first place, but for them, it is about making an impact. You know, they are, that is their their main reason. You know, is it about diverting waste from landfill or is it about um, restoring the oceans or creating a love of the ocean or 
that is that's why they're here um mm. the reason they're creating a profit is to feel the impact they can have because going back to that point we talked about earlier on if they if impact is integrated into their business model then the more that you know the better yeah. they do commercially the better impact they can have and so the whole thing is kind of self-reinforcing yeah yeah would you would you uh, would you be jumping in at, at at any point in time so it's, it's kind of what the work that you do is kind of taking them along along this journey or is it is it is it even beforehand kind of starting creating that change within leadership how do i have to uh, imagine that like how do you how do you how do you move a company yeah so i tend to focus on working with business leaders who've already almost had this mindset shift so they believe in business as a force for good they want to have a meaningful impact on the world through their business mm. they've usually done a lot of the kind of obvious stuff and they've got to a point where they're stuck and they're saying okay I want to scale up my impact. I want to move further along this spectrum, but I don't know how to do that. Um, I'm feeling overwhelmed. There's hundreds of things I could do, or there are things that just seem too tricky and impossible. And there are sort of two main things that I then help them to do. One is to um, break, make the impossible possible. <laughs> so break it down and you know, take it off the too difficult part and start, you know, break down that problem and look at how you can kind of unpick it and approach it in a step-by-step -step way. And then also think about how do you make this much more strategic? So often businesses on the sort of earlier stage of that spectrum are quite tactical about what they're doing. They, you know, and that's fine, but they will do things because it's in, you know, a particular framework that they're following or because that's what their competitors are doing, or because they're having to report on it. But they're kind of picking off little activities yeah. here and there, but they're not all joined up. Whereas if they want to really increase their impact, one of the best ways to do that is for them to think much more strategically about what's the difference we want to make? How are we going to make that difference? And then how do they kind of ladder up everything they're doing so that it all adds up to making a significant change? So going back to what you were saying earlier, when you were talking mm. about CSR, how do they make sure that all of their charitable donations or all of their volunteering is connected with that difference they want to make? So rather than just sort of donating here, there and everywhere to lots of different charities, if what they want to do is um, have a significant impact in terms of diversity and inclusion within their industry, for example, there mm. will be charities out there that are really focused on that so they can donate to those charities how can they do you know pro bono work or volunteering which is using their core skills to try and shift diversity within their industry because if they focus all of their energy and attention and their skills on that thing that they want to make a real where they want to see a step change they're yeah. going to have a much bigger impact than if they're kind of doing lots of nice stuff but that's not connected together yeah yeah I, I had a, a question uh, around this, which is how do you have any examples or um, of uh, businesses where the the impact side goes hand in hand with the business model itself? Or asking this question slightly differently, my worry is the is the following, or more than worry, my the, the, what I would like to understand is. If you're trying to build a business, um, how can you uh, do have the impact you want to have without only relying on 
informing the potential customers. So how do we make this not about just having better communication? Or is that the only way? You mentioned stories beforehand. So maybe if I take an example of you're trying to sell some, make some clothes, some T-shirts or something, um, you might decide to produce these T-shirts in a, in a more sustainable way, uh, but the, then the, the cost goes up. And therefore, if that's all you're doing in your business model, basically you need to change the story around what you're doing and you'll capture part of the the market that will agree and and with your values have the same values and and will purchase your shirts but are all uh, situations like this or is there a way to create an impact but at the same time have a unique um yeah where it goes hand in hand with the, the yeah impact so I'll share a couple of examples. So one of them is the one that I talk about in my in my TED talk, um, which is Elvis and Cressy, who are a business here in the UK. And they were set up with the aim of diverting waste from landfill. So that was when they when they initially started, they saw this problem. Lots of waste is going to landfill. We need to reduce the amount of waste. How do we do that? Um, they looked at all the waste that was being produced. They went, you know, hung out at the landfill site and so you know, saw what's coming in, what 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 materials are coming in that we can do something with. And one of the ones they noticed was fire hose. So once you know fire hose gets to has been used a certain number of times or um, gets to a certain age, it can't be used anymore. But it's still a really good, strong, solid material. So they took that material away and they looked at what they could do with it. They tried out lots of different things. And they ended up eventually making belts. And now what they do is they use fire hose, mm. and various other things. So, I mean, I've got a handbag that's made of leather offcuts. Um, they make, you know, really sort of high quality luxury accessories. So belts and bags and things out of um, materials that would otherwise have gone to landfill. You know, they sell them at, you know, a decent price, but, to you know, that people are willing to pay. Um and they donate half of their profits to charity. So um, you know, the, the pro- half of the profits that come from the fire hose products go to a charity that supports um, families of firefighters. Um, and mm. they also, within their supply chain, you know, they treat everybody who works within their supply chain in a really fair way. They're all paid a decent wage. They've all got good working conditions. They're ultra transparent, so you can you know you can go visit their factory anytime you want. They share they share huge amounts in terms of their sort of operations and their you know their data. And so, I think that's a great example because they're diverting yeah. landfill. They're creating really long lasting products. They will repair them. So the, you know they're genuinely trying to keep stuff out of landfill as long as possible, and they're making a big difference. Another entirely different model would be um, Cook Trading, which is um, a food company here in the UK. And they make frozen meals, but using the same sort of ingredients and processes you would use at home. Um, and so, they're, you know, they're essentially frozen ready meals. The people, they, they've got this um, program called the Raw Talent Program, where lots of the people who they employ in their kitchens um, and in their business more broadly um, are people who are, sort of long-term unemployed so you know they may be ex-offenders they may have a really long-term mental health condition that's made it hard for them to work etc and they have this program where they employ them and you know 
they work for the company. And this is an example where in their impact report, they share stories of the people who have been through this program and who now work at Cook and have been there for, for a number of years. And their lives have been transformed. I mean, it is really emotional reading those mm. stories, whereas, you know, seeing the number of people who've been through it, that doesn't tell me a great deal. Whereas reading the stories of these real people who, you know, weren't working, whose lives, you know, were not, you know, particularly yeah. meaningful. They and and saying things like, you know, this has literally transformed my life. I would never work anywhere else. I, you know, this employer means everything to me. And so the level of loyalty that they have for their employer is incredible. Um, and, you know, this is in an industry where people are often struggling to recruit in a sort of catering industry like this. And so you've got Cook transforming lives, having a really substantial social impact at the same time managing to recruit in a space where otherwise it would be hard to recruit and creating a level of loyalty from their employees that you would, you know, most people would be really envious of. And then what they're doing as well is they've got this program, which is delivering social impact and completely integrated with their business model. They also then share how they do that program with other businesses so that other businesses can do the same sort of thing. And deliver, you know, so that then scales up their impact as well, because they're sharing it rather than keeping it a secret. Yeah, thank you for the yeah, I think it, it does. I would kind of push back slightly on the second example. And the, the reason being, because it is something I, I've kind of tried to think about for myself uh, quite a lot in the restaurant example, I, I something I had already discussed this with some some people at the time is that somehow you are paying an, an extra cost in in this specific case, although it's not necessarily in the cost of the meals. But you might be. I, I don't. I, this is, I don't want to judge on this particular company or anything. I don't know, but it it could be that the people who are hired are not expert cooks as much as they you might find in in another more regular restaurant, let's say. And therefore, people going there are maybe paying similar prices, but for a quality that's slightly less. So so the the impact is on the quality. And again, I I, I want to say I, I I'm not judging in any way on on this business, but uh, but but. Because in in Geneva we have a similar business where um, uh, where um, people who are handicapped are are used to 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 work and do some manufacturing stuff and different kinds of things, and they can do it really well. But I mean they are a bit slower on some things, and um, so there is kind of an impact on how you you know on the delivery on the what you deliver. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I would say um, I've got a couple of thoughts on it. One is that, you know, sometimes, yes, there might be an impact like that on speed. And there's something then about understanding what's your balance scorecard for your business? What are your KPIs? Because if you've got social impact in there or environmental impact as one of your core KPIs, then actually that might be okay. You might be willing to accept a slightly, you know, lower output because you're delivering this brilliant social impact. Um, I mean, that obviously won't always be the case. Um, I was reading a lovely example yesterday of, um, you know, disabled people here in the UK who are working in a business and are, you know, delivering amazing customer service and constantly getting feedback at how brilliant they are at customer service. Um, and actually, you know, that is attracting customers who wouldn't otherwise necessarily have gone there. Um, so I think there's that side of things. It then comes around to the innovation point, which is, can mm. we create additional constraints that, 
you know, become kind of the spark for creativity of thinking of things in a different way. And that's where I find a lot of this quite exciting is about saying, OK, we'll put a different constraint in. But let's see what you can come up with. Come up with something that works with this new constraint. Yeah. I also feel like in the discussion that we have now, but also the discussion in more general, somehow like some of the discussions that we used to have quite some time ago about innovation are very, very similar to, this, to the kinds of discussions that we have now about sustainability. So this, well, will it, make, will it make money? That was kind of the, I mean, I remember that, that that's the standard question in innovation, but where's the ROI and all that strange activity of doing stuff that doesn't immediately kind of show revenue and and then, and then, okay, there's so many things we could do. Where should we start? I feel like a lot of these run in parallel or, or, or it feels like what we, what we used to be talking about or well, some kind of still are in innovation are very, very similar in this impact world. So it's the same kinds of discussions I feel like that, we, that we're having. And, and I would say on innovation, the juries are rather clear, more or less in most companies that, yes, okay, I think we should do this. Sustainability impact seems to be in the beginning of that of having that discussion, having having those arguments again and again. Or is that a too 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 strong to compare them that that much? No, no, I think there's a lot of overlap. And I the reason I think it is is because actually this is innovation. We are having to innovate, yeah. we're having to transform businesses. You know, this is the this is the busy, biggest change project that we are all going to collectively undergo, you know, ever. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we we have to change whether because we choose to or because we're forced to because the external world forces us to, um, and you know, so we ha we have to innovate, and um, so you know, we we need all the same skills. What I've noticed is a lot of people there has to be collaboration. You've got people who are real experts in sustainability who've kind of grown up in that space. They've got that real technical understanding around, you know, materials and waste and environmental impact and human rights and supply chain. All of these different factors yeah. is people who are experts in them. What they're not experts in is innovation and organizational transformation and change and taking people with them. And so it's about bringing together those real technical experts from the sustainability space with the people who've got that background in innovation and saying, okay, here's the creative people. They know how to innovate products. They know how to look for a new sustainable business model, to do business model transformation, how to influence leaders to change, et cetera, et cetera. Bring them together with the sustainability people who can bring in that real technical understanding of the new constraints that we're, we need to be designing within so that when we're, when we're doing the early stage part of innovation we're bringing in that into the design stage we're bringing those constraints in and that knowledge and expertise yeah. and then staying mindful of it all the way through as we're testing and developing because yeah. you know, the world is changing and you know whether it's because of regulation coming down the line whether it's because you know the natural world is changing and suddenly you're not going to be able to grow coffee where you've been growing coffee because the climate's changed or you know water levels have risen and so we can't manufacture in the factory we've been manufacturing in because it's under the sea now you know all these they're, they're yeah. going to happen whether we want them to or not and if we can bring in that innovation expertise to help you know invent the future i think the yeah. two come you know they are really intertwined i'm i'm sure i'm sure they're not um there's not just one tool that you can help that can help people to incorporate these questions when they're designing their businesses or thinking about innovation. There are some well-known tools that everyone knows uh, for innovation, uh, very simple 
that I would maybe criticize sometimes, but I think generally are very good. It's like uh, the Osterwalder uh, business model canvas. I wondered if you had um, similar tools, that uh, conceptual tools that uh, you would recommend for uh, working and in, for incorporating sustainability yeah. or impact. Oh, there okay. must be a sustainability canvas somewhere. I'm sure, I'm sure there but is. I, <laughs> I wonder. The world we're living is there is, of course, like a hundred. <laughs> I'm sure there are a hundred, but uh, I, <laughs> I'm sure Hannah can point us in the right direction. There are. I mean, if you Google them, you will, you know, you'll find some. I'll be honest, I haven't found one that I like. Um, I, I ended up creating my own that pull kind of bits from the different spaces. And I, and I say this because of when I was leading innovation teams within the uh, charity sector, we were using the business model canvas at the time. Mm. And um, and it was constrained because the reality was that you're trying to engage the people who are using your product or service and not necessarily, the they need to get, cust- you know, they need to get user value from it in exactly the same way as they do you know, in any old, any innovation, because otherwise they're not going to want to use it. It's still going to be a good product or service. But often the impact, like who in the charity sector, you know, who's going to pay for it? They need to see impact and that's not in the business model canvas. Um, and so we used to struggle back then and sort of thought about how you how you deal with it. Um, mm. The two sort of main changes I've made is, you know, put an extra column down the side where you think about who are all your different stakeholders? What are the impacts on them? So mapping out positive and negative impacts, just, you know, qualitatively rather than going into any great depth, but at least getting you to think about, okay, well, there's going to be the people within our supply chain. There's going to be an impact on them or there's going to be an impact on the environment because of the waste we're generating. Um, Just taking time to think about who they are so that you've at least got them there consciously as you're developing your business model canvas. And then something I saw, um, I can't remember who I saw did this, but it was on one of the um, canvases I found I really liked is between your um, revenue and your cost um, boxes, you insert a a third box, which is for profit. And it talks about where do your profits go? What happens Mm. to those profits? Because there's an assumption in the business, you don't really talk about it in the business model canvas. Whereas actually that's a place where you could say, well, you know, 50% of our projects are being invested in, infrastructure in the communities where our supply chain is based or in education for you know we're we're uh, we're operating in a factory in Bangladesh we want to provide food and education for the families that are working Mm. in our factory and so 50% of our profits is being invested in that or or maybe they're being you know in charities here or maybe you've got an employee share ownership program and so that's where the, the profits are going but but something that talks about okay well by the business is making all this money what what then happens to it or do you you do try not to make any profits and you actually keep your costs keep your um revenues low such that you've got enough to reinvest in the business but you're Mm. purposefully then not creating you know excess profits yeah it's very difficult to escape this um, utilitarian kind of way of thinking <laughs> that we were mentioned talking about at the beginning. These um, effective altruists who have made a lot of noise lately with the whole AI questions or, and all this. Uh, one of the things they suggest, which is an idea that I would just say uh, doesn't speak to me, but uh, you know, rationally, it's not easy to necessarily 
faulted completely. They they encourage people to, for instance, go and make as much money as possible. So go and work in a bank or do a hedge fund or something like this, and then give away all their money to charity. So how is uh, and that they they believing this is morally a good way of uh, you know going about things. And then we get back into this pure accounting kind of thing. And just when you were talking about thinking about profits and what we do with them, somehow this is a bit in the same spirit or what am I missing in this picture? Yeah, no, I mean, it is. If that was purely what you had built in there for impact, then I think it's missing Mm. a trick because I think you do need that impact piece down the side as well. So if you then look at the banking person, okay, they're making a salary and yes, okay, that's probably a decent salary because they're in the banking sector, but the impact of their work the negative impact of their work, if they are, say they're an asset manager and they're investing in big oil and gas companies or tobacco companies or, you know, arms manufacturing, if they're investing in those sorts of industries, the negative impact of their day-to-day activities is going to far outweigh the salary that they're bringing home, even if on an individual basis, their salary seems high. Mm. Um, they can, you know, they can make themselves feel good and they can justify it to themselves, but they're essentially trying to help themselves sleep well at night rather than asking the genuine questions about what, you know, what are the problems in our world at the moment and what genuinely do we need to do about them? And I think that's, you know, that this is where it starts to get hard because I think most people deep down do actually know what needs to change, but we've, you know, we've built lives around it. You know, people are, you know, they've got a house with a massive mortgage. They're used to going on holiday X number of times a year and they like it. And, you know, they look honestly, I've got friends who work in oil and gas. And I think, you know, yeah, you probably know it's not the right thing to do. But the reality is if you quit that job, which is paying you an awful lot of money, you're going to have to make some big lifestyle changes. And it's a hard, it's a hard decision to make. But, you know, Mm. nature's going to win eventually. (laughs) I like how you how you stress this kind of I feel like you say, so you say well the change is coming anyway yes you can try to kind of find ways of trying to chicken out but let's be real here change is coming anyway and then so let's stop kind of trying to find ways out of it let's integrate it into the core of what we're doing yes that's difficult it's the same with other kinds of things that we did and integrated in the core of how we do business it's just an, an additional constraint needs a bit of innovation but bit, but that's what we need to do so i really like this firm stance of it's not it's not a it, it, there is not an, a question of if we're doing it or not but let's start like kind of let's start now because putting all the facts on the table change is coming anyway and, and i think that's the reality I and mean, we can see it in you know across the northern hemisphere at the moment you look at you know the high temperatures the flooding the fires you know, mm. if we keep operating as we are, there are going to be places that become uninhabitable or we're not going to be able to grow the crops that we're growing. Supply chains are going to fall apart. You know, the world will like nature is always bigger and stronger than we are and we can try and control it. But, you know, we can't in the long run. You know, if you're in the path of a volcano, you have to get out of the way because you, <laughs> you can't stop the lava. Or, if, you know, if the sea decides it's going to rise, the sea's, you know, there's only so far you can push it back. Mm. Um, And... So there's a reality of, the, you know, if you think about business resilience now, do I want yeah. my business to exist in 10, 15, 20 years time? Yeah. Most people probably say yes. 
okay, so what's the world going to look like in 10, 15, 20 years time? That You know, there's enough forecasts out there. You might not like what they say. They may tell you your entire industry is going to have disappeared. And I think this is then comes back to the innovation piece again. You know, say you're in fast fashion. Probably, you know, by the time, you know, regulations kick in and you look at all the externalities of that, you are not going to, if, you, if your business is built on selling T-shirts for £1.50, probably in 15, 20 years time, you're not going to be able to get away with selling T-shirts for £1.50. So you could sit here and, you know, bury your head in the sand and keep making short-term profits now. But at some point you're going to go out of business or you could sit here and you could say, OK, what are our assets and capabilities? What's the world going to look like then? And what is the world going to need and what are consumers going to need? And how do we use those assets and capabilities to reinvent ourselves so that when we're in that world, you know, we've we've transformed into something that is is relevant to that that new world. I, I slightly want to change. I, I I really like this. I slightly want to change kind of the topics here because I feel like there is one thing at least I I see as a as a kind of dangerous red herring. But we can discuss and then we'd be super interested in how how you see this. So you mentioned it already. Kind of there is a lot of stuff around sustainability that goes into reporting. And one of the more famous three letters that have been going around lately are the ES ES and G, which kind of is 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 taking the world more or less everywhere. So there's a lot of reporting, a lot of also kind of um, legislation legislation coming more. And the Europe in the EU, for example, I think it's 2026, 26 or something. I don't know, know exactly the date, but in the coming next years, you will have to have an ESG reporting system installed and all that kind of stuff. So, and I see many, many companies that are now heavily investing in putting up these ESG reporting systems They alongside their financial reports. They're, they're reporting on their ESG impact. So, but but is is that going to really help us? Is that is that a red herring of just uh, well now we have the numbers and we know how bad we are? But or or is this is it is it is it really helping in, in kind of these climate or sustainability efforts? How do you how do you see ESG in general? Yeah, no, good question. Um, and I think it's a yes and no. So, you know, data is important. Um, yeah. Data, it you know, it helps businesses to make decisions, to prioritise and to focus their efforts, because the reality is that, you know, different businesses need to focus in different areas. You know, if you are a service-based business, you need to focus on something totally different to if you are a product-based business or, you know, in agriculture. So actually having that data is really helpful and, and can help to influence business leaders as well. It, sustainability is so conceptual and talking about you know carbon footprint is difficult if you suddenly give them the cold hard numbers that say right here's mm. where our carbon, you know this is actually the impact of our entire business okay we can all clearly see which the big areas are we need to reduce those by 50 percent in the next five years now let's focus on talking about how we're going to do that that data is really helpful because yeah. you just yeah. makes it so much more tangible um you know for example you know conversations around business travel if you suddenly say to someone right this is your footprint for business travel at the moment i need you to or your you know for your um operating unit you know this is your car current carbon footprint you can see that business travel is making up 50 percent of it i need you to reduce your whole footprint by 50 percent, and your bonus is now linked to that you have to budget in the same way as you do finances up yeah. to you how you do it but there's the numbers it's a whole different conversation to saying, okay, everybody has to stop flying. Um, yeah. because they can work that out for themselves because they're grown ups and they can see the numbers. So, yeah. you know, data is important. 
it also does help with comparing one business with another, which you know we need to be able to do. We need to have comparable data, which we haven't had in this space because there haven't been, you know, there hasn't been this kind of, um, you know, the frameworks, the the reporting frameworks that are, are starting to come in, and you know, investors need that, potential employees need that, um, insurance companies. You know, we need to we need to be able to compare and know that we're comparing apples with apples and that everyone's basing it on the same sort of data and assumptions. Yeah. Um, but the effort that goes into reporting and gathering data needs to be proportionate. Um, I mean, it's super difficult. I, I know of a couple of companies who are, who are this, it, it can be super challenging to actually, to really measure your CO2 footprint. That's, that's like a science. I mean, that's very, very challenging. So I'm sorry, yeah. I kind of cut cut in there. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, and in the SME set space, you're seeing some really nice yeah. tools come in, which are spend based. So they plug into the ah. financial system and they do an estimate based on your spend. So it's, you know, it's broad brush, but it's kind of good enough to get going because otherwise yeah. there's a risk that businesses get so tied up in this data gathering and how complicated it is that they don't actually start doing anything to reduce it. Yeah. Whereas there's enough knowledge out there of what okay you're in such and such an industry okay probably the biggest you know your biggest um impact you know biggest area of your carbon footprint is likely to be x because you know we've looked at 100 other businesses across your industry and for all of them that's the biggest thing so start focusing on that rather than yeah procrastinating and delaying spending so long trying to get the perfect data um so i think you know it needs to be proportionate you know, the effort you are putting into that reporting or to developing or implementing that system shouldn't be diverting the energy or the money from actually making progress. Yeah. Um, Do you have a name for this um, system you mentioned that does this kind of broad brush analysis? Would you have some references? So there is, or there's one that plugs into zero, but I, I think it's been done by Ecology over here in the UK. I don't know. There's there's various people developing them. What is zero? Sorry. Uh, Zero is it's an accountancy solution X E R O that lots of SMEs use, um, and I think it's Ecology that have created a plugin. But you know, there's going to be lots of them out there. Yeah. But you can do it based on spend. It's not perfect, but there's an element of doing something that's good enough to start with. It's like you know, there's lots. You may be familiar with all the different sort of scopes of carbon accounting. You've got scope one, two, and three. Scope yeah. three is really hard. That's when you start digging into your yes. supply chain or you start digging into the way your consumers are using your products. Start with scope one and two, then do the easy bits of scope three. Don't wait till you've got the whole thing perfect before you take action because we need to start moving forward. That's the, you know, This is very much a space where sort of perfection is the enemy of progress. We all need <laughs> to be making changes to move forward. And there's probably some really obvious stuff you can do that you don't necessarily need the data for, you know, can you start printing double sided? Yes. Do you have the amount of paper you're using? Can you look for efficiencies in terms of the materials you've got coming in as raw materials? And if you can measure your raw materials, you know, you've got that measurement already. You don't need to have a whole carbon footprint report to tell you that, you know, if there are efficiencies that can reduce the real raw material use by 20%, that's probably going to be a good thing to do. Yeah. What would be great is to have a, a tool. That's why I was asking that would um, that would be public access that people could see in different industries and and fairly um, with a f- fairly high level of detail 
where in each of these industries there's the big the biggest amount of waste so that people who are not necessarily in that industry could also um bring some solutions there may i mean this is you're you're outside my comfort zone now so there may be um but you know there's definitely more and more you know knowledge yeah. being created all the time i think that what, what you have highlighted is you know this is it's such a complex area and there's lots of there's not you know you can't have one person who knows everything so you know there'll be people who are the experts on carbon accounting there'll be the people who are experts on water there are the people who are experts on you know value from waste there are people who are experts in specific sectors um and it's it, it it's about bringing together that multidisciplinary team rather than you know i would say be nervous if, if there's a consultant pretending they can do everything for you <laughs> Yes. that applies in general by the way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and i think this is a space it's really because it's so confusing and overwhelming it's really tempting mm -hmm. to say i just want one person who can come and give me all the answers because i really am familiar with this come in and tell me what to do but unless you're a really small simple business there's going to be you know not everyone's going to know everything it's about you know them being able to bring in the right experts knowing how to find them knowing what they know where their limitations are so so i feel like this is um this is a good way kind of to starting uh kind of well landing the plane is probably a bad metaphor uh to be <laughs> honest i'm realizing it right now but, but landing <laughs> is okay taking over taking yeah. off well, landing it is fine taking off will be yeah. kind of <laughs> well land it and then leave it landed forever and ever yeah <laughs> no more forecast so so um I mean, I, 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 I really, this is really not my expertise as well, but, but I started kind of having a little bit of, of steps there in, in sustainability and ESG reporting. And it's, it can be, I mean, to so, as soon as you start going in there, it can be really, really overwhelming. It, it re, stuff explodes, go one and three. Uh, that in itself is a very difficult distinction sometimes. So, so is that kind of, is that, would that be something that people can start with or can they start working with 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 you on that or is that a separate thing so how would it what would it look like um if they if they kind of want to okay i'm i'm a leader out there in an sme or in a larger company i i kind of feel like i want to i want to go i want to go on this journey i want to start it how how do i do this is that the moment to reach out to you or to somebody is how how, how to go about this first first initial step yeah no good question um that's not when I tend to start working with businesses. There are people out there who do, um, and they're probably the ones who call them sustainability consultants rather than impact consultants. Um, it can also be really helpful if you're part of an industry, look look to your own industry umbrella body because lots of sectors are doing work around this. There's lots of free advice generally. Um, mm. And within your sector is helpful because then they will have done that work around what's the stuff that's most important to you. So looking at what your industry body is doing you know any sort of membership organizations you're a member of lots of them are putting out free advice running free webinars yeah and it just starts to get your head into the right space then um the one thing i would say is there's a huge amount of advice out there i mean i spent a, you know i know about this stuff and i spent a morning looking at all of the free advice that's available for smes in the uk and i ended up feeling completely overwhelmed by it <laughs> so um what i what i tend to say to people is you know have a look at your industry stuff but then once you start looking at the advice pick one thing that you're going to go with and follow that so i mean here in the uk though this would be totally relevant to anybody overseas as well um 
the WWF, so the World Wildlife Fund, have a sustainable mm. office guide. Um, and if you just search for WWF sustainable office guide, it comes up. And it is a brilliant starting point, especially for service-based businesses. It goes step by step through all the different things you might want to think about if you want to make your business more sustainable. And it gives you ideas of what to do. Um, mm. And I always say to people, just start with that. If every business was doing everything that's in that guide, we'd be in a much better place we're in now. Do that. Use that as your plan for, you know, the next year, two years. And once you've done that, then move on to something else. Yeah. But just pick one thing and then follow that as your guide. You know, you could look for help, but if you're a smaller business, you might not be able to afford to do that. But that is such a good starting point. And as you start on your journey, you will stop, you know, yeah. finding events that are going on, connecting up with people in your local community. But I, I would definitely not sit and do lots of desk research because it is just completely overwhelming. Um, there's also, there's um, there's an organization called Project Drawdown. Um, and if you're looking at climate change, they have a really good little video series um, sort of climate change 101, which is freely available. So that's worth looking into as well. If you just want to you know get an idea of climate mm. change, and what it's all about, and, you know, obviously sustainability is much bigger than that, but that's quite a good starting point. Um, so that's available if you search um, for project project drawdown. Project so drawdown. Drawdown, and, and I can put the link so you can put it in the speaker yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, those are the. That's where I would start if you're very much at the beginning of this journey, because yeah, I tend to work with people who are further on in the journey where there's been that kind of mindset shift, where the leadership team is saying we really want to do this, we really think this is the right. Now we, yeah, done all the you know the sort of easier stuff. And we need help now. How do we really kind of scale up our impact and do this in a way that really integrates it into what we are and, you know, how we do it? Okay. okay. Perfect. Very nice. So, so where can they, where can they reach out to you? I know there, I mean, there is the, uh, your website, of course, uh, uh, kirtland.co, uh, I think, right? So K-E-R-K, -K, oh, sorry, K E R. A, well, what the hell? I'm a bit tired. I'm sorry. K E A R T L A N D dot C O. There we go. Okay. I managed to do it. I'm very sorry about this. I'll put it in the, the uh, kind of description as well. Uh, of course, I think you mentioned you were on LinkedIn. You're quite active on LinkedIn. So I, I really enjoy your post. So I think that's certainly some place to go. Is there anything else? How can how can they reach out to you? How can they get to Yeah, you? so LinkedIn is the best way. Connecting on LinkedIn, following my posts direct message me on there that's where i'm yeah as you said really active um not really on most other social media platforms that's the main one um, i've got a monthly newsletter called better, better business bites which you can sign up to um which is sort of monthly tips on how to integrate impact into your business um you've talked about the ted talk so you can watch that and then you know my email address is um hannah h-a-n-n-a-h at kirtland.co um you know happy for people to reach out via email or or on linkedin Perfect. Well, Anna, thank you so much for your time. The outsourced chief impact officer. I really love that. So, so um, thanks for taking the time and being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. All right. And that concludes today's Product Quest podcast. So please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, see you next time. Thank you so much, Henry. That was super interesting. <laughs>
very much. <laughs>